Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest this week is Daphne Jones. Daphne is a former chief information officer turned board member of three publicly traded companies, AMN Healthcare, an organization that finds doctors and nurses to place in hospitals around the country, Barnes Group, a global industrial and aerospace manufacturer and service provider, and Masonite Company, one of the world's largest designers, manufacturers, and distributors of doors. Prior to joining these boards, Daphne was the chief information officer of GE Healthcare, among other technology executive positions she held. In this interview, we discuss Daphne's transition from CIO to board membership. We discuss her advice to CIOs looking to join boards, including why not-for-profit boards are a good stepping stone to for-profit boards, and how CIOs can bring both an offensive and defensive mindset to the boardroom. We also discuss how the CIO role has dramatically evolved over her career, Daphne's view on the progress of women in technology, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to Timothy Casby. Timothy is the former chief information officer of companies like Reliance Industries, Sears, and Trexon and the Warehouse Group. He's one of a handful of CIOs to rise to the top echelons of a company, in his case as president of an enterprise software company called Zoho. Timothy wanted to share a brief perspective from Zoho. Timothy, take it away. Yes, Peter. After seeing the failure rates of monolithic large multi-year ERP implementations, we came up with the concept of Zoho One built to be the operating system of the business. In Zoho One, we give over 45 applications for dollar a day per user. These apps take care of all aspects of digitizing a business, be it sales, marketing, finance, HR, business intelligence, etc. And to these, we add three things, an app named Orcusly, which allows customers to easily create, manage, and optimize their business processes through an intuitive drag-and-drop interface. Zia, our conversational AI that helps you get information across the enterprise in a 360-degree way. And then we add non-functional requirements like single sign-on, telephony integrations, and Zoho Marketplace. Dollar a day per user pricing has removed the high-cost barrier enterprises used to have to do end-to-end digital transformations. That's why we find over 25% customers use more than 25 applications in this suite, while 50% use 16 or more. And this is a reflection of organizational readiness. IT deploying apps as and when their business teams are ready to receive cloud-first, mobile-ready operating system of the business that is Zoho One. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Daphne Jones, welcome to Technovation. It's great to see you today. Great to be here, Peter. Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. Well, Daphne, you were a, uh, many will know that you were a longtime chief information officer. You served as a tech leader at uh, August organizations, including Johnson & Johnson, uh, Hospira, uh, General Electric. Uh, for the past three years, though, since your time as a CIO, you've been sort of on the other side of the table advising a different kinds of organizations, both as a board member, which I'm looking forward to getting into in more detail, uh, as well as advisor to tech executives. Maybe take a quick moment, if you wouldn't mind, and describe your activities over the course of the past three years. Sure. Yeah, I retired from GE Healthcare uh, in the end of 2017. And since then, 
Um, the word retired is an interesting word. I failed at it. Uh, someone told me <laughs> the, word, the word retired means you have a chance to get tired all over again. And so I am retired because <laughs> I am working a lot. So I'm, I am uh, on the board of three uh, public corporations, three corporate boards. I have also uh, recently formed my own um, consulting and coaching and public speaking company as well called Destiny Transformations Group. And uh, I'm a pastor's wife. So uh, especially in the age of coronavirus, where, you know, we are doing church online, communion online, offerings online, it's been very helpful for me to uh, help him with that. And then finally, I'm in the midst of uh, finishing up my book that I'm writing um, that's to empower and help uh, folks transform their lives in the age of digital. And so those are the things that I've uh, been working on for the last couple of years. That's really interesting. Um, so I'd love to understand, you know, as somebody who was a practitioner for so long and now, you know, has some distance from that and is spending more time advising uh, technologists as opposed to being in the thick of a single role, um, how is your, how is the, how has your perspective changed? I'd be interested in that must be a very interesting journey going from managing something day to day to advising a variety of portfolio things day to day. Talk a little bit about that journey if you would. Yeah, I think it's a natural progression that happens in life. Um, first you do, and then you manage those that do, and then you manage those that manage those that do. So as you go get older in life, you tend to kind of walk a little bit further away. And I believe you have your life in tranches. First you learn all you can, then you earn all you can, and then you return all you can. And so when I was in the, my middle stage of, of working for uh, Hospira and GE and, and J&J and IBM, I was learning and earning as much as I possibly could. But then at some point you say, now it's time for me to return back to corporations in ways that um, I couldn't before, and that's to advise the, the business and advise CIOs on how to do it. Um, so yeah, first you're hands-on. And I, mean, I remember when I started with IBM, in 1979, uh, I think the first um, Mac was introduced in 1984 or 85. The first Windows was in around that same period of time, the Windows operating system. And, you know, we had a, you know, a 16-bit um, uh, multitasking shell, right, sitting on top of MS-DOS. And so we go from that to uh, large systems that I used to have responsibility for, MBS, VTAM, I wrote JCL, uh, where mainframes and the data center was the size of a small house or a large house. And uh, so I've come a long way, you know, from that. And I've seen the CIOs go from the nerds that have to print things out on, on uh, what do they call watermelon paper, the green and white paper that came out of the, the, the dot matrix printers, and to now being truly partners in, in the business. The, um, the, uh, the World Economic Forum says that by 2022, easily 60% of the global uh, domestic product, the GDP, is going to be through digital. So whether it be innovation, new business models, new services, new products, um, advanced technologies, it's going to be digitalized. So now the CIO is not just a nerd who is summoned once in a while, but is now sitting at the front, the forefront of helping companies learn how to see opportunities, learn how to seize them, 
uh, through advanced technologies and learn how to scale them as well. And so the, the, the transformation has been extreme. And uh, I, you know, good, bad, and different, I think 50%, maybe 60% of CIOs don't quite yet see themselves as that uh, co-creator of the business model or co-creator of the strategy. They're still sort of trusted advisors and so that was the last frontier was the trusted advisor state. Now the, the CIOs need to become more true developers of the strategy along with the business, given that so much of the business is going to be digitalized. And you look at what's happening today. I forgot the CEO, the former chairman of Google says, give me some more credit. Give us some credit. You all need technology more than ever before, because without technology, people couldn't be staying home like they are in this, you know, in this, um, this COVID timeframe. So um, the role of the CIO has drastically changed. Now, when I sit on the other side, um, I find it interesting that I am one of the very few people that might ask certain kinds of questions in the boardroom of the CIO, of the CISO. So uh, when they come in and talk, you know, all eyes look at me and say, Daphne, <laughs> when are you going to ask the million dollar questions um, that you're on the board to ask? So it, it is different. I find myself coaching CIOs. I find myself, you know, on the board that for the companies. Um, uh, I find myself uh, actually having the ability to translate some of what they're saying to the board members. So it is very, very different from when I used to present to the boards. Now I am uh, in the boardroom um, helping the CIOs um, know how best to present themselves well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And thankfully, there's been progress made. You were you know, one of the leading edge people in terms of going from CIO into the boardroom. Thankfully, some others have joined you, uh, but still there are a lot, lot more people who have the ambition uh, to do so than have actually achieved it. Um, and I know from actually our, our preparatory conversation, you were mentioning there are some people that may wish to, but don't really know why, or even, you know, they may not even understand the realities of board membership. And therefore, right. it may be kind of a, something, a wish that shouldn't be fulfilled. Can you talk a bit about that? I would be interested in your perspective there. Sure. When I was at Hospira, um, uh, I was a senior vice president, CIO, and reported to the chairman um, at the time. And I had to present to the board like every quarter. You know, it was either about cybersecurity or it was about our portfolio. It was about the business benefits. It was about the budget and strategy, whatever. And I would walk in the room and it was always quiet. And these folks looked so smart and they were so well-dressed. And I'm like, what do they do? You know, I just had no idea. And so, you know, one of the things that a person has to do is first understand what does a board do? And it's the demystification, what I call demystify and understand why does a board exist? Um, why do they call it board service? And, you know, you really are serving at the pleasure of the shareholders um, when you're dealing with a public company like the ones that I'm on. And so you have to demystify what kinds of boards are there, what industries do I want to work in? Like my husband being a pastor, it may not serve me well to be on the board of a cannabis company, for instance. And, you know, I don't know if anybody would understand that. Um, or would I want to work on a board of a tobacco company? So there's some things you have to really consider when you think about demystifying what does a board do and, and what could my role be on that board and what value can I add? Um, and then you kind of go through the steps and say, well, 
Do I want to be on a board? Now that I know what a board does, is it for me? Do I have the time? I remember when I was working in, in corporate America before I retired, I had opportunities to join a board and I was told, no, you can't join a public board, a not-for-profit, yes, a for-profit, not so much. And the reason why is because you are serving at the pleasure of the board if for some reason, like recently happened with one of my boards, the CEO says, I'm going to retire now. One of the first responsibilities of a board is to manage CEO succession. And you, we met every Friday for about four or five months. Um, and we had to fly to New York, we flew to Chicago, interviewed candidates. And when you're working in a corporate America role, sometimes it, you'd have to choose, do I do my job or do I do my board job? And so you've got to make sure and decide that you've got support, you've got the time, um, to do it and that you know what value that you can add and what value you want to get back from the board. Do I have good references that will support me in that? Will my family support me? And so once you make that decision, then there's things you have to do in terms of uh, how do you show up on LinkedIn, uh, making sure that you connect with as many people as you know that can help you, um, creating your elevator speech about, you know, your value contribution. So there's things, there's a, a, a true litany of steps that you go through to do that. And you've got to know that you've got the time and that you've got the skill. Um, there are companies that... Um, may be going through a distressful time right now. And if you have a skill in driving turnarounds, you might be perfect for the board. Or if you have taken companies public before and you know that there's a company that wants to launch an IPO, you might be perfect. So I believe that a board member has to reflect the community or the customers that the company works with or for, or the challenges and opportunities that the company is facing. And so if you don't meet any of those, it could be a tough road to try to get on a board. But you've got to know what a board is, decide that you have the time, and then there's some things you have to do in order to get ready to, to be considered for it. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned that the, the initial foray for you, as it is for some people, was through the nonprofit uh, um, route, so to speak. You were a, a member of the board of directors of the Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall College Fund. Um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about that early experience and what you learned from it that served you well now that you've continued on to uh, to, to for-profit boards uh, uh, beyond that. Yeah, I, I served on, boy, that one, uh, Thurgood Marshall, on um, the Evanston Art Museum um, mm. and uh, Robert J. Parker um, Assisted Living Homes out of uh, New Jersey, and they were, they were subsidized by Johnson & Johnson. Not for profit, and what you learn is certainly governance, because uh, because just like in public boards, there are there's a management team that has to get something done. So very much alike in that sense that the board is there to help um, provide guidance, ask questions, help lead. What they call noses in, hands off. You know, you cannot do the work, but you certainly ask. Um, questions to help guide guide the work. So you learn the structure of a board. You learn the auditing aspects of it. You learn um, the other aspects of it from a, a strategy standpoint, session planning. 
and and then you carry that forward. I think what's also special about a not-for-profit board is, as I mentioned, uh, uh, David Stern was on the Thurgood Marshall board, the former MBA commissioner, but there are you know um, tons of people that are on those boards that are able to um, potentially help you into your foray into a paying board or a for-profit board because some of the people that are on the boards actually own companies or are sitting on boards as well. And when you do a great job and you're insightful, you're thoughtful, you're helpful to the management team, you're noticed. And when you're noticed by the people that are sitting around that same not-for-profit table, then you're certainly a candidate in their mind for a a for-profit board that they may be sitting on or maybe chairing themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. And you talked you talked about how, um, uh, as a former as a technologist at heart, uh, that you have a special depth of knowledge when the CIO of the companies that you're on the boards of come in the room to ask the million dollar question. Probably for some of them also to translate what they're hearing. Um, what I, I'm curious: Are there other as you think about the value of a technologist, a CIO, or former CIO joining a board? What are some other things that come to mind that you think are of greatest value? Yeah, well, when you, I just spoke to one of my board members yesterday, and I used a term that you probably have heard more recently is ambidextrous leadership, right? And ambidextrous leadership, when you think about it in in a board sense, in a CIO sense, um, boards or uh, CEOs have to, on one hand, drive offense um, with with digital. On the other hand, they have to drive defense, you know, against cyber criminals, right? So I call that a two-fisted strategy or ambidextrous strategy. And so the role that a a CIO like myself um, can play or the CIO that works for the company will play is to help the the board look at the offense side. Um, When you look at digital transformation, when you look at how can we use technology to um, exploit even more um, automation, RPA? Can we find ways to cut cycle time and, and cut costs and, and using um, things to help the company do better, even within their core competency, but you know, organically help them improve? On the same time, you can help them exploit or, or explore new opportunities new you know markets new adjacencies uh, new business new collaborations using advanced technologies like AI or, or deep learning or machine learning or whatever and so on the one hand the technology in the room given the fact that 60 percent 70 percent is go- of GDP is going to be digitized that CIO can help the company think about technology from an offensive standpoint Likewise, when you look at all the threat actors that are out there on the defense side, the CIO needs to be able to ask questions about what are going to be the real risks to our business if uh, if we should get hacked. And it's not a matter of when, it's a matter, whether it's a matter of when. And I always say that uh, hackers don't break in, they log in. And so how do we make sure that they're not logging into our, in our environment? And if they do, have we protected our crown jewels? whether it be the IP, the drawings, the recipes, the PII, or whatever the case may be. So having that information in the heads of of the CIOs that are on the board, the qualified technology experts that are on the board, will help the business think about technology in a new way. After all, if you don't understand um, the business or technology, how can you govern? 
And our job as leaders and, and um, board members is to govern the business. But if we don't understand technology, how can we govern with that, which is going to be a large part of the business? Yeah, it's a great point, Daphne. Um, can you, I wonder if you can take a quick moment and just, you mentioned that uh, fit is an important thing, the needs of a certain company aligning with maybe your own background or the kinds of experiences that you had. You mentioned the you know, CIO that's taken a com- been with a company when it's gone public, perhaps then joining the board of a company that has the ambition to do the same. Um, can you talk just a brief thumbnail sketch of the three uh, for-profit boards you're on now and what kind of attracted you to each of those opportunities? Sure. They're uh, just great boards. I'll, I'll name in alphabetical order um, AMN Healthcare. <laughs> Uh, AMN Healthcare used to stand for America's Mobile Nurses. We are an organization that is right now, I won't say they're quite on the front line, but we find, hosp- we find doctors and we find nurses to place in hospitals around the country. So they're very busy right now, um, finding people and doctors who can go to New York, who can go to California, who can go to Texas, who can go to wherever. And uh, so it's really critical. It's uh, led by Susan Salka. She's the CEO of the company, and um, they, so we don't have a supply chain. Uh, we don't manufacture per se. Our our product is people, and our and our outcome is saving lives. And so that's really what we do there. Um, and that's a phenomenal company. Uh, B uh, Barnes Group is a second board that I'm on, and we are an aerospace company and an industrial tooling company. So we um, help supply engines to the Boeings of the world, to the Airbuses of the world, et cetera. And we also provide other mechanical industrial parts for healthcare industry, automotive industries, and many industries that um, we all know and and love. Um, That's an old family company, 160 years old. But it's certainly a publicly run company, uh, you know, as today. And uh, but it came out of the Barnes family. And then um, my third board is a Masonite company. We are the one of the world's largest menu designers, manufacturers, and distributors of doors. I never knew how many doors um, uh, existed in this world, whether it be interior doors, exterior doors, wooden doors, fiberglass doors, steel doors. And I think we make like something like 80,000 doors a day. And um, so um, we do a lot of work in, 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 in renovation, in new construction and, and things like that. So all three companies are, are fairly different. Two are manufacturing, one is not. Um, but all of them are dealing with, with coronavirus in, in their own way. All of them are, are dealing with liquidity and how do we make sure our shareholders remain happy? How do we make sure that our employees are very safe and, and taken care of? And how do we make sure that we have technology um, taken care of. When you look at uh, Zoom being Zoom bombed, we want to make sure that doesn't happen to, to us. Um, how do we make sure that uh, video conferencing is secure? Should we do, um, how do we make sure that the products and the, the, the data that we have, that it is not ending up on our employees' desks, desktops, but rather inside of the company's firewall. And so we're having to be concerned about a lot of things that people concern themselves when they're in the corporate offices, we are now having to worry about distributed uh, technology that's out there in people's homes. So a lot of opportunities for CIOs to really make a, a tremendous difference in companies like those. Mm, great example. Thank you for those overviews. I wanted, uh, before I let you go, Daphne, I wanted to ask you, you were a, 
a real leader, a pioneer in many ways as a, as a female and a female of color uh, in the IT field. Uh, when you became a CIO, there weren't necessarily a lot of people um, who were or women and women of color uh, who, who held those posts. Thankfully, there's some progress has been made. One, one can think of a good number of women, uh, as well as um, African-American women and others of color who who've joined the ranks of, of CIOs. But I wonder if you can maybe take a moment and reflect upon where you see sort of the state of the union of diversity among the IT ranks. Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I do see a lot of women uh, more and more that are taking the role of CIO, um, chief digital officer, and many roles in, in the technology space. And that's something to be proud of. And I believe that just like in on boards, when you have diversity of the input, it improves the quality of the output. Uh, when you have more um, dis, uh, different thinking, you have, I think, a lot more capabilities within, uh, uh, within that. Uh, I don't see as many women of color as CIOs as I used to. Uh, I remember when I joined Hospira, I broke the glass ceiling. I was the first woman to report to the chairman, and I was the first person of color, uh, female of color, to report to the chairman as well. And uh, But there weren't a lot. So when I go to different events, I go to Ivanta or HMG or SIM events or whatever, you don't always see, you see a lot of men, you see more and more women, but I am accustomed to being, you know, maybe one of a handful, maybe only one handful of uh, women of color. So we have some some ways to go there. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, you know, keeping working on that, uh, making that be a, a high priority for companies. It's not a, a, a fairness issue. It's not a parity issue. It's really a business issue. And I think more and more companies that um, realize that, I think they'll be better off. But we have some, some ways to go on that. But the women, I think we've um, made some progress there, for real. That's great. Well, Daphne, thank you so much for, for joining me today, for sharing your perspectives about your tremendous career, the things you're doing now, the great work you're doing on boards as well. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. And please join me next week when my guest will be Facebook Chief Information Officer, Atish Banerjee.